Well, it is a privilege to be with you this morning. It is a privilege to be able to bring the word to you today on this first Sunday of Lent. Lent is this season, and at its heart, it is a season where we open ourselves up to God and prepare for Easter. It is a time of preparation, a time of change, a time of growth. It is a time where we change from old to new. And when we look at our text today, at its very heart, that is what we see. We see Jesus taking the old, the way things have always been done, and making it new. And we discover that that is exactly what Jesus wants to do in each one of us. But before we dive really deep into our passage this morning, it's important for us to back up a little bit. There are things that take place right before our passage that we need to understand because it ties it all together. So let me tell you a little story. In verse 13 of Mark chapter 2, we see Jesus on the shore near Lake Galilee. And he is talking to a crowd. This has tended to happen as news about Jesus has spread. More and more people gather to hear him speak. And as he is walking and as he is talking, he sees Levi or Matthew, as we call him more frequently. And Matthew is sitting in his tax booth. Now, the name Levi would suggest that Levi is a descendant from the tribe of Levi. And the Levites were part of the priestly class. They were also scribes within the temple. And the fact that Levi would become a tax collector would have been a scandal. Tax collectors were the lowest of the low. They were considered unclean for multiple reasons, but because they dealt with the Romans and they handled the money of Gentiles, any contact with them was forbidden by law. So it is a shock that Jesus would call Levi, this tax collector, to follow him. There is no other rabbi that would have done the same. It, would, it was radical. But Jesus knows all of this. He knows Levi. He knows his history. And he still looks at him and says, come, follow me. And the Bible tells us that immediately Levi got up, left his booth, and followed Jesus without hesitation. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He goes to Levi's home and eats with him and surrounds himself with other tax collectors and, as the Pharisees call them, sinners. Now, when Jesus went to Levi's home, he essentially becomes unclean. 
And the Pharisees were outraged. This is just not the way it is done. But this is the way of Jesus. Jesus was ushering in something new. He was ushering in a kingdom where all are welcomed at the table. And the Pharisees couldn't handle that. It would upend everything that they were clinging to. Which brings us to our text this morning. Mark chapter 2, beginning at verse 18. This is the word of the Lord. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And people came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus said to them, The wedding guests cannot fast while the bridegroom is with them, can they? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast on that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old cloak. Otherwise, the patch pulls away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is lost, and so are the skins. But one puts new wine into fresh wineskins. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So what is the point that Jesus is trying to make here? Because as we read that passage, we go, what? The message at the heart of what Jesus is trying to say here is the message that is at the heart of Jesus' ministry. God is wanting to do something new. Jesus seeks to make this point by actually telling two parables or stories. This first parable comes as an answer to a question. You see, the Pharisees think that what they are doing is calling Jesus out when they ask him about fasting. It was a trick question. And almost every interaction that Jesus has with the Pharisees, they are trying to trap Jesus, trying to build their case against him. But what they are really asking Jesus here is, why are your followers thinking that they are above the law? Why do they think that the law doesn't apply to them? Well, in order to understand Jesus' reply, we need to understand the ritual of fasting. The law actually only required fasting one day per year on the Day of Atonement. Yet the Pharisees had made their own rules. They were good at that, making up their own rules. And they required fasting to occur twice a week. They added to God's law, seeking to make them look more holy or more righteous. 
And when they were fasting, they made sure their appearance showed just how righteous they were. And everyone knew they were fasting just by looking at them. They would put ash on their heads. They would wear clothes that were tattered. They would do these rituals, and, but there was no joy within them. And Jesus addresses this actually in Matthew 6.16 when he says, When you fast, don't look like those who pretend to be spiritual. They want everyone to know that they are fasting. So they appear in public looking miserable and gloomy and disheveled. Believe me, they've already received their reward in full. But when you fast, don't let it be obvious, but instead wash your face and groom yourself and realize that your father in the secret place is the one who is watching all that you do in secret and will continue to reward you openly. See, Jesus would have understood all of these rules about fasting. He would have understood that the Pharisees were adding to what God had intended. And knowing all of this, Jesus uses this parable, this story, and he describes the opposite of this joyless fast. And he describes a wedding. In Mark 2.19, it says, Guests at the wedding can't fast when the bridegroom is with them. It would be wrong to do anything but feast. When the bridegroom is snatched away from them, then the time will come to fast and mourn. You see, Jewish weddings were a week-long affair. They were filled with parties and joy that lasted all day and all night. And Jesus is saying, why would anyone need to be sorrowful or mournful now because I am here because Jesus the ultimate gift the bridegroom is right in front of them there was no reason for them to be fasting or waiting for the feast day they could feast right now because Jesus was here you see for Jesus it is not about the ritual it is about the relationship. In the Sacred Invitations devotional for today, Dr. Middendorf says, fasting is not an end in itself. Fasting is a means of focusing our attention in prayer toward the cultivation of a deeper and more profound communication with God, relationship. In this season of Lent, we tend to focus on what we are going to give up. But what we need to remember that it is not about the ritual, it is about a deeper relationship with God. Fasting is intended to help us have a more intimate and focused relationship with God, our Father. But the Pharisees couldn't see that because they were so stuck in the fact that Jesus was breaking the rules. They were so focused on getting it all right that they missed the invitation that Jesus was offering into a more intimate relationship with God. It was right in front of them, but they missed it because they were too focused on the past and too scared 
of the new kingdom that Jesus was ushering in. But Jesus is taking the old and making it new. Jesus is reshaping, reorienting, redefining life and what it looks like to live in God's kingdom. He's showing what God's kingdom looks like, the intention that God has always had for the people of God. And it doesn't look like the past. It looks like something new. But Jesus wasn't done trying to make his point, and he moves into another parable about old coats and new wine. And we look at that and go, what? What do old coats and new wine have to do with anything, Jesus? Well, let's look. Mark 2, starting at verse 21. Jesus says nobody would ever use a piece of new cloth to patch an old garment because when the patch shrinks, it pulls away and makes the tear even worse. And nobody puts new unfermented wine into old wineskins because if he does, the wine will burst the skins. They would lose both of the wineskins and the wine. No, the only appropriate thing is to put new wine into new wineskins. When you read this section of scripture, you have to ask, what do clothes and wine have to do with the point that Jesus is trying to make? Well, let's have another little history lesson to help us understand In order to mend an old garment that had a tear, you would need to pre-shrink the cloth that you were going to use to mend it, sort of wear it out a little bit before you could mend your garment. If you didn't take the time to pre-shrink your cloth and you tried to sew your old garment with that new piece of cloth, as soon as you wash it, that new cloth would shrink and begin to tear what you already just mended. And when it comes to wine, back in the time of Jesus, wine was kept in animal skins because it had the ability to grow as the wine fermented. New skins were soft, they were pliable, they were able to stretch. As the wine fermented, the the skin would grow. But old wineskins would become brittle, and they didn't have the ability to stretch anymore. So if you tried to put new wine into an old wineskin, the gas from the new wine would cause that skin to burst. And then you lose everything. You see, Jesus was coming to usher in this new and this beautiful kingdom of God that was flipping things right side up. Making things the way God had intended them to be from the very beginning. Taking the old and making it new. But in order to do that, some things need to be let go of. Talking about the old coats and the new wine, R. Kent Hughes explains it this way. The new fabric that Christ brings cannot be interwoven with the tired fibers of old religion. 
it will simply tear it apart. If new wine was put into old wineskins, their brittle, inflexible condition would cause them to burst, and both wine and wineskins would be lost. The new life that Christ brings is expanding. It is growing. It is ever shaping and ever, it's this intentional, never-ending growth that comes with this new life in Christ. And God wants to do this new thing in you. Now, it's not just some abstract thinking that I'm talking about here. It's not something out there, like God just wants to make something new out of this over here. No, this is God looking at you, looking at me, and saying, I want to do a new thing in you, in your life. But in order us for, to, for us to be ready for this new thing that God wants to do in us, our hearts must be like the new wineskins. We must be soft and pliable. We can't be so focused on the past that we become brittle and there is no way that we can move. Receiving this new thing that God wants to do will change us. It will transform us. It will stretch us. This is why we must keep our hearts soft, so that God can form us and shape us and stretch us into his likeness. Hughes goes on to say that when Christ fills the wineskin of our lives, the swelling life within stretches us to new limits. The inner pressure expels unneeded things and fills every aspect of our lives. As Jesus seeks to lead us into this new thing, this new life that he has for us, our old selves, our old attitudes, our old experiences, the things that we cling to that are familiar and comfortable, they begin to change. But we can't cling so tightly to those things that we miss the new thing that God wants to do. This new thing is life transformational, transforming everything about us, our hearts, our minds, our lifestyles, our attitudes. Remember, it's all about relationship. Jesus wants to take us deeper, wants to form us and shape us to look more like him but that's going to need new skin. We see this in Paul's letter to the Corinthians when he writes, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The new creation has come. The old life is gone. The new is here. Jerry Irish puts it this way. In responding to Jesus as the Christ... We are not taking on a particular set of requirements. Rather, we are entering a relationship 
with God. A relationship that establishes and colors our relationship with all other creatures. In all likelihood, this amounts to a revolution in our lifestyle. It will not do to put the new wine of God's love into the wineskins of our old behavior. It's not about taking a particular set of requirements. Rather, it's entering a relationship with God. And it will not do to put the new wine of God's love into the wineskins of our old behavior. But there is this undeniable tension between old and new. Let's admit it, change is hard. We don't always like change, especially when we have to admit that something needs to change about us. Sometimes we can become so focused, though, on the new that we completely disregard the old. But when I read this passage, I don't see Jesus saying that the old should just be discarded or thrown out. That's not the focus of what he is saying. He is saying that the old should not hold us back from the new. Because the new thing to come is so much more than anything that came before. So what do we do with the old? We allow God to mold it and shape it and reform it into something new. Change in new things can be scary, but we do not have to be afraid of the new thing that God wants to do in us because we can trust that God is good and that our good God is working things together for our good. The word for good that Paul uses in that verse when he talks about God working all things together for our good is the same word that Jesus uses in Matthew 7, 17 when Jesus is talking about good fruit. When he says, in the same way every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. What Jesus is talking about here is our flourishing. The new thing that God wants to do in us can be trusted because God wants us to flourish. You see, God is the creator God. He is always creating, always making things new. It's part of his character. It's part of who he is. And he wants you to have this flourishing abundant new life. Patricia Callahan says, there is a better future in sight. However, this future will cause disruption. The current systems, beliefs, and practices are no match for Jesus's in-breaking kingdom. The wine and the skins, the two pieces of cloth have to match. 
An old cloth pulls away from the new. New wine will burst old skins. But Jesus is ushering in a new kingdom that cannot be contained by old wineskin. A patch to the old systems simply will not do. This new life, this flourishing, abundant life needs new skin, needs a soft, pliable heart. But the Pharisees couldn't handle this new thing that God was doing. What about you? Are you resisting the new thing that God wants to do because you are clinging too tightly to what you might have to let go of? What is holding you back from the flourishing new life that God desires for you? Does the thought of new things bring you joy of what you will gain or fear of what you might lose? If this isn't a message for this time of pandemic, I don't know what is. We know that life as we once knew it has changed. This change hasn't been easy and at times not even welcomed. But we keep being confronted with this question. What if God wants to do something new during this time? in your life, in the life of Community Chapel, in the life of the church with a capital C? What is the new thing that God is trying to do? What new wine is he trying to pour out, but we are too focused on holding on to the old wineskins? What might we need to let go of? What old things are we clinging to that are holding us back from this new flourishing life that God has for us? How do we need to allow God to take the old things of the past, the things that are holding us back, and shape them into something new? The new that Jesus is longing to do in your life, the new that Jesus is longing to do in the church should bring us joy. Remember, this is all for our flourishing. We shouldn't be like the Pharisees, looking all sad and upset that the old is being made new. This should cause us to celebrate there should be excitement about what is coming. There should be this eager anticipation for the new thing that God wants to do. So what is the new thing that God wants to do in your life? Maybe it involves calming your fears. Maybe it's releasing you from your anxieties. Maybe the new thing that God wants to do in you is to take you deeper into your prayer life. Maybe it's using these prayer practices to do that. 
Maybe God is wanting to move you to a place of deeper commitment or a place of deeper obedience. Maybe he's calling you to a new place of service. Maybe he is calling you to begin your journey with him for the first time. But are you stuck in the comfortable when Jesus is calling you into the new? We need to let go of those things that we are holding tightly to so that we can embrace the new thing that Jesus wants to bring into our lives. That's how we grow. That's how we experience the full, flourishing, abundant life that Christ has for us. We let go of the things that we're clinging tightly to and embrace Jesus and all that he has for us. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for the reminder that you are the God who is making things new. God, would you help us to not be afraid of the new thing you have for us? Would you help us to have soft, pliable hearts so that we are prepared to receive what you have for us? Would you show us if there is anything that we need to let go of? Give us the courage to do that so that we can embrace the new thing that you have for us, so that we can experience the flourishing, abundant life that you desire to pour out upon your people and your church. God, may we not be so focused on the things that we miss your invitation to relationship that is right in front of us. Would you draw us closer? Would you take us deeper? Would you pour out your new thing upon us? We offer ourselves to you, God. We ask your new thing would begin in us today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. And now may you go. May you go and joyfully embrace the new thing that God wants to do in your life. Amen.